Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Mario Nafal, founder and CEO of the IBC Group, bootstrapped his first business at the age of 22. IBC is a full-service blockchain consulting agency that provides fundraising, development, marketing, legal strategy, and advisory solutions. Recognizing blockchain as a transformative technology for the efficient management of information and value, and the integration of IoT in the move to Web 3.0, Mario has gathered a global team of industry leaders in blockchain programming, consulting, business management, as it specifically relates to decentralized projects. Mario has been through extremely difficult black swan events that would break down any entrepreneur and bankrupt a business. He has documented the entire process of building his current enterprise to allow entrepreneurs full access to all marketing, logistics, product, operational, and financial decisions, including both failures and successes. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Mario. Thank you for having me, Lori. Nice to meet you. Well, it is nice to meet you, too. I am just thrilled to really uh, learn more about you and such an incredible story uh, that you have to share with our listeners today. Tell us more about your journey, Mario. Sure. So I started, uh, before even I knew what blockchain meant, I started my journey with e-commerce. I launched my first business at age 21, I think it was 2012. Uh, but it was bootstrapped, so, and it did really well. So I got seven figures in the first year, eight figures in the second year. And then I scaled more e-commerce businesses. And I learned as I went about e-commerce. That was my, my strength, really. And before that, I was a door-to-door salesperson. That's what built up my um, ability to sell and understand people. So that's how my journey started. And there's been ups and downs and a lot of hurdles, but that's part of the entrepreneurship journey. And then you mentioned IBC. So IBC, yeah, it's, it's, everyone's been through it. And I was surprised to know this. Every time I listen to an interview of some other entrepreneur to learn from them, I'm always learning. Everyone is almost everyone's had ups and downs. I was just speaking to an entrepreneur before this interview. I finished the call like five minutes ago. And I was telling him because I went through a massive scam at IBC. So I was scanned by people I trusted to run the company and they, they almost destroyed the company. Ah. I, was, I, I briefly told him about it. And his answer is like, man, I've been through, everyone's been through it. I've been through the same thing, almost destroyed the company. One of our clients tried to scam us and, and uh, you know, we lost a lot of money throughout the process. And it's just, um, uh, it kind of shows that the successful entrepreneurs, one of the points that makes them successful, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. If you look at the facts, is the fact that they persevere. So yes. despite those hardships, it sounds nice. And you know, yeah, keep working hard, keep persevering. But it's actually true. The people that do persevere, they do they wake up the next morning after something horrible happens and they go through their day and they keep fighting, they don't give up. They're the ones that will stand out. And if you think about it, if you compare it to all else being equal, one person gives up when, when the, 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 the stuff hits the fan or another person <laughs> fighting through it, the person that keeps fighting through it will, will end up on top. 
And that's, I, I would agree. I, I, I think to that point, uh, you know, quite often we as entrepreneurs, hiring is something that we typically aren't good with. We want to uh, su- surround ourselves with great people. And at the point um, that we realize we've got to hire an HR director to really help us through those things, we have had a horrible situation happen. Either people have been stealing with us, there are unethical things happening in an organization. You have believed in people too deeply. Um, I think that is something that I have heard time and time again on this show, and, and certainly we'll hear it again. Today, um, we are going to really roll up our sleeves and talk about bootstrap marketing and really tips for marketing startups through the broke mentality. Explain that to us. Sure. So I... I don't know why, but whenever I start a new venture, I think I know why. Whenever I start a new venture, Laurie, I do it with minimal expenses, minimal costs. I just cannot imagine putting a lot of money into a new venture. I cannot imagine getting VC funding. Now, that's the way I kind of develop myself. I'm not saying it's the right way of doing things. And I think it's because I'm very risk averse. I've been through a lot. I want to have a nice sleep at night. Uh, Even though it's nice to be successful, I'd rather not have the stress. So that's the mentality I've built over time. And every new venture I launch, even though I have capital to invest, I put in some resources, but I don't risk a lot. Right. And that mentality worked to my advantage. Why? There are a lot of success stories out there of businesses that raise, you know, the Ubers of the world. They raise a lot of money and they manage to achieve tremendous success. And people like to look up to those companies you know, the unicorns of our space. But what most people forget is that for every one of those unicorns, there are hundreds, if not thousands of other businesses that try to do something similar. I'd say hundreds. Try to do something similar and failed. Many of them would have had a good team, would have had everything going for them, but maybe the timing was wrong or uh, something happened along the way that was unexpected, medical issue, could be anything. So my approach to business is whenever launching a new venture, do it with a broke mentality because you're risking a lot less. Now, why does that work? It forces you to seek revenue very, very quickly. That means you seek proof of concept very quickly. You don't invest a lot of time, a lot of money into the venture until later on you, you, you realize, hey, maybe the internet isn't fast enough for, for developing a, a video streaming platform. That was YouTube in the 90s before YouTube. Someone else tried it. Many people tried it. It just didn't work. But if they raised $100 million and then launched it, they would figure that out after wasting $100 million. Or if you look at Juicero, one of our competitors, which everyone in the U.S. has heard of, they raised a hundred and something million dollars to make a juicer that juices by squeezing pre-packed bags. So it's essentially a juicer that doesn't require cleaning. And you have to buy the bags like you buy capsules for your Nespresso. And they got $120 million in investment. And after putting in all that money, they ended up being everyone making fun of them. Why? Because the concept didn't work. But they figured that out too late after wasting a lot of money. So that's number one. When you don't get an investment, when you don't, when you don't invest a lot of money, you are forced to get that proof of concept quickly. Number two, you find out a scarcity breeds innovation. That's human nature. So when you don't have a lot of resources, you make do. If, I, if you put me now in a desert with just a, a bag full of things, I'll find a way to survive different to my life right now because that's how I'm designed as a human being. And it's the same in business. If you don't have $100 million to spend, you'll find unique ways to market. You'll find unique ways to develop your product. And a lot of businesses are not doing that when they've got too, many, too much resources, a lot of VC money. Um, so 
that's been my way of doing business. I'm not saying it's the right way, but it's been, it worked well, for me. Yeah, it's uh, certainly been very successful. And, and I think that top level thinking is something um, that many of our listeners today can completely relate to. Now, when it comes to the marketing, you know, with the scarcity mindset, what were some of the most important questions that you were asking yourself? It was one question. Whenever I try any marketing idea, any strategy whatsoever, I'd look at one simple metric, a ROAS or, or CPA. It's that simple. So we could come up with the most innovative marketing strategy or the most basic Facebook campaign. Let's say it's a basic Facebook campaign to get the metrics quickly. Let's say it's a very unique strategy where we send packages to customers with a little gift and a coupon code. We look at the metrics. Does it work? Let's double down. Let's spend another 10000 100000 a million dollars on it. If it doesn't work, let's, let's try to iterate. Maybe we could try doing something different. Or if it doesn't look like it can work and we've tried iterating, we just move on to the next thing. We just have to accept that this concept didn't work. And a lot of times we just don't understand why. We don't know why a marketing strategy didn't work or an ID didn't work. But you just have to accept the fact. And if you're, you, know, you have that broke mentality, you have to accept that fact because you don't have money to waste. Keep trying to beat that dead horse. But I think that mindset is something um, that is very special and, and it's a very valuable lesson for a, a lot of listeners today. Test and scale is one of the mantras of Abaset. There is so much that we know um, that is proof of concept. We know it will work. But with any great marketing strategy, you've got to try things and learn and prove additional concepts uh, to know how you can break out uh, from the mold. What is it about your secret sauce that allows you to think that way? Um, it's the pebbles strategy. Jim Collins calls it pebbles than, um, than a cannonball. So you keep testing, as you said. You keep throwing those pebbles, keep trying this, trying to iterate the landing page, trying to change the, 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 the campaign copy. And then when pebble hits, when you start making sales at a logical ROAS, that means, hey, you've got something. Optimize it further. Improve that CPA. And you keep optimizing. So as Jim Collins talks about in his book, Good to Great, you throw a lot of pebbles. When one hits, you focus there and you throw bigger pebbles until you throw cannonballs. So you keep improving, 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 and then you go all in. I love it. Now, the central part of, part of any effective marketing plan, as we all know, is a thorough understanding of your target market. Uh, the more that you know and understand uh, about your customers, ultimately, the easier it is to sell them what they need and want, more importantly. This is why taking uh, the time to get to know your customers is powerful as a piece of this bootstrap marketing concept and technique that we're really going to dive in today. How did you ultimately get to know your customers? That's something that I haven't mastered yet. I won't pretend that I have. It's, um, it's not easy. And, and I probably want to learn more about this. Like, how do you know who your customer is? I try to do things like talk to my customer service team, asking them questions, you know, who is buying our product, et cetera. But I also question that. So if the customer service team that's our, says, hey, this is our customer, that's who buys our product, I want to say, okay, cool. But is there other customers that we're missing? And then you can test out new customers and, and, and understand them through the marketing because the marketing is like a tool. And you could change the copy, change the landing page, change the audience to test different customers. And then you're always exploring who your customer is. Now, as you mature as a company, eventually you'll kind of settle on your ideal customer. 
But I think allowing flexibility at the same time is important because the company matures, the company grows, the market changes, competitors come up, and customer preferences change. So I would have a more dynamic approach to customer, knowing your customer, uh, but take my feedback with a grain of salt because I am learning this as I go as well. Yeah, fair enough. Now, ultimately, how did you conduct marketing research uh, instead of hiring a researcher? That's a good question. Uh, marketing research is something that I, it helps tremendously. Knowing who you market, knowing what the market thinks about your product. If I knew this information in advance, it just gives you an edge as a business. I didn't have that edge. I kind of used marketing to test the market. I would, the way I would test, I would, I would conduct market research is run an ad campaign towards a certain market. There are, I know there are agencies and I had a task that I've never attended to it, um, ways to leverage those agencies to understand your market that get that information for you. You can run surveys. You can do something Hootsuite. I can't remember what it's called. Add it to your website. We're about to launch a survey now on one of our websites through, I think, Messenger, a bot on our website. Uh, but it's something also we're still, it's still a work in progress. And the best we've done in, in researching the market is just testing different ads towards different audiences. Now, differentiation, I think, is a key uh, for a lot of entrepreneurial startups. And, and what we find is, especially being heavy in the tech space, is that a new innovation is developed and it is fantastic. But all too often, it is very similar to something else in the marketplace. And that point of differentiation is just not enough, ultimately, to really you know, help the product shine and, and stand out in a crowded, marketing, um, a crowded marketplace. So ultimately, marketing and sales really need to roll their sleeves up and find key points of differentiation, whether it be through mass messaging or competitive analysis that truly does help customers ultimately realize why they should be uh, purchasing the product. How have you developed points of differentiation for the different companies that you've run? Oh, yes. That's a question. I love that question, Lori. It's so important. It's, perception is so important. Like you can have the same product marketed in different ways. David Ogilvy says, if, you're, if you can't sell a product, it's either your copy is wrong or your audience is wrong. In other words, the copy is so important. And what he means by copy is how you present your product, how you convey those advantages why it's better than a competing product, why you should pay extra for your product. And that's not easy to do. You have to understand your audience. You have to understand how they think. You have to go through. Now, I probably didn't give myself enough credit understanding my audience. I did go through on, on review websites. I did go read Reddit. I spoke to customers. I did a lot of customer service in the early stages. And that allows me to understand what customers look for and what questions customers ask. And then I optimize our copy, our website, our selling points, our marketing strategies based on that feedback. For example, we sell a blender. When we started selling the blender, we advertised the speed of the blender, the power of the blender, the dimensions of the blender and all that. And I did not know that customers only cared about the power of a blender, even though technically it doesn't really that matter that much. But that's what customers were looking at. So then we started focusing on that. We made a video where the blender was blending paving stones, blending other things, making nut butters. We talked about the power everywhere. And then we were known as the blender with the most power. And that worked out really well. I did not know this until customers told me. Customers also cared about the speed. We advertised that, but they didn't care about the level of noise. They didn't care about the dimensions as much. So we put that you know, in the specifications at the bottom of the page. 
because people didn't care about it. And we optimize all our pages based on that information. So that's, that's in terms of market. Uh, I hope that answers your question, um, Laurie. Okay, great. It goes back to a point, though. You talk about market research, and I was very vague with my answer. I said, you know, we do it through running ads to different audiences, understanding them. But, but I said, I'm still learning this. From your experience, you probably have a lot more experience than I. How important is it and what are ways businesses could leverage uh, market research? How, how, what, do you, what would you recommend for a business like mine, an e-commerce business, understanding their market and how their market is growing? Surveys is one. I'd, I'd love to get more feedback, more advice as well. Sure. You know, it's, it's very, very interesting. And, and market research can include several things. So I'm going to start, you know, my response from the standpoint of true marketing research. Let's all understand that the product research has already been completed by the product uh, development teams or, you know, CEO with a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial startups, that sort of thing. When we uh, take a look at market research here at Avocet, there are some key factors that come into play. First of all, we want to understand the competition and the position that they hold in the marketplace. Uh, we want to be able to talk to current and prospective customers. And we can certainly do that through surveys. We can do that through uh, market research utilizing Facebook ads to test, quick surveys, all sorts of different components there. But one of the key elements to us is ultimately understanding the behavior of the buying pattern that will create that buyer mentality. So quite often, we will roll up our sleeves and really dive into what we refer to as an audience audit. The more that we can understand about the audience, their likes, their dislikes, their behaviors, their ages, the, the buying patterns, uh, the price elasticity, all those sort of components via survey, the better we are to know the audience before ultimately marketing begins. And then I think a key point here is marketing research never ends. It is constantly an ongoing effort through the test and scale model that we've talked about. I agree. And I, I took a few notes, actually, believe it or not, on my whiteboard. Because <laughs> the first thing you said is understanding competition. That's key. And that is market research. And I did not mention this. So that one we're doing for sure. And I'm obsessed with it. I look at competing websites. I see what I think learning from being humble enough to learn from your competitors is paramount. You know, thinking, you know, it all and they don't know anything is just naive. So they do their own market research. And if they change something on their landing page, especially if they're a bigger competitor or if they change something in their ads, that says something. Uh, so I could not agree more. Yeah. And there's so many tools you could use. Uh, I don't know their names, but there are tools that I, I was actually looking at one today that allow you to see if the, a certain website made any changes and monitors the website. Uh, another tool allows you to see the, actually Facebook allows you to see what Facebook ads a competitor is launching. Another tool, uh, SEMrush allows you, and, and uh, SEMrush and Ahrefs allow you to see the traffic and the keywords they're ranking for on an SEO perspective when they're focusing on and what keywords they're advertising on as well. So you can actually, you've got transparency to everything. Leverage that, learn from it. Um, so that one we're doing. And the next point you mentioned is understanding your market through surveys and their behavior. That one we're not doing enough of. And I think it is key, especially as the internet gets more and more crowded, the marketing space gets more and more crowded. Niching down and focusing on your target market will save you tremendous marketing spend and increase conversion rate a lot more because uh, you understand who your market is and you can, instead of advertising for everyone, you can advertise it to, to the right market, to the right target market. And it is always 
it's something you have to constantly be doing. That's for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. We need to be smart and be fast, right? And technology is a major component of really pushing out smart marketing strategies and tactics today. Now, you've used influencers as a major component to help grow the different brands that you've started and and, uh, companies that you've built. Talk to us more about that. Yeah, influencer marketing is something I cannot be too proud of because people have leveraged it tremendously earlier than me and better than me especially Instagram influencers. I did it before even knowing what the term influencer meant. It just made sense. You know, it was, they had people's attention. They had people's trust. That's what we pay for. We run ads to get people's attention. We make the website really pretty, offer customer service, offer money back guarantee to gain their trust and put reviews. Well, influencers had those things already uh, established with their audience. So it just made sense for me to leverage that. And I sent a lot of products for free and I'm doing it now. It's not on tap, but it's still underpriced, in my opinion. Instagram is something we didn't leverage. I did not jump into the Instagram game because it wasn't evergreen. And I was silly enough to not realize that that there's still attention there, even though it's not evergreen content, it will disappear after a while. Uh, But I I, I missed that boat to an extent. We're doubling down like crazy for the last year on Instagram. But I did uh, leverage influences back in 2012, uh, through blogs and, and Facebook as well. And we've created a lot of content, a lot of social proof. Now, there's two ways to, to leverage influences. Number one is social proof. So getting influencers to write reviews or YouTube videos about your product. Now, that helps because, again, people will find when they look at your product and put the keyword reviews, an influencer review will come out on YouTube or on Google. And that helps you with social proof, people trusting your product. So that's number the first reason you'd want to use an influencer or leverage an influencer. Right. The second reason is attention. As I said, influencers have people's attention and that's where Instagram, Facebook come in because there's a lot of attention on those platforms and you could leverage influencers there. That's how I've done it and that's how I'm still doing it to this day. Well, and I think finding the influencers is probably one of the most dis- difficult tasks um, that we have as marketers. And there are some great tools out there, uh, you know, in the PR space, which is a, a major component of the integrated services that Avocet provides its uh, clients. In the PR space, we've got, you know, Meltwater as our tool of choice, and it provides us, you know, all of the publications and uh, broadcast media that are out there. And influencers historically has not been a big component of the tool that we subscribe to. But there are programs like socialbakers.com that really provide a great resource for, for brands to ultimately figure out who would be a great influencer within the product and, and region that they might be marketing. So though there are many, many other tools out there, but Social Bakers is, is a great mm-hmm. one. And it's important to use those tools because the market, the influencer market is getting very crowded. And if you don't... It's not, it's not easy to price an influencer. How much should you pay them? What should you provide them? Oh, no. Do they have a, do they, is their audience, is, is it engaged audience? Is it a legitimate audience? So all these things are starting to, to make the space very uh, difficult to navigate. So having tools like this will ensure that it's successful for you because if you do it blindly and you just give your product to everyone, it's not a sure thing. It's not that easy. No, it's definitely not. Now, talk to us more about some of the successes that you've achieved. What is one of the coolest programs that you deployed that really ignited customer count? Hmm. I would go back to the early, early days of launching my business because that's what triggered my business. 
And it was such a unique marketing approach that worked. And, and when something works, as I said before, he doubled down on it. So I doubled down on it like crazy. And it was a very aggressive marketing approach. So it made a lot of noise. It allowed me to stand out. So I was nobody. I was, I had, no one knew who I was. I was young and um, I, I, I just, I was a salesperson, but I found a gap in selling a good product, a good blender at a good price. That's the gap that I found. But how can I get people to know about me? Because even if you have the best product in the world, even if you have the best idea in the world, if you don't get people's attention, nothing will happen with your idea. No one knows about it. So I needed to get that attention. Now, if you don't have a good idea or a good product, the attention is wasted because nothing will happen to it. It won't convert. But I knew it was converting. I just didn't know how I would, how I would get it. So what I did was I found the best competitors, the leading competitors. And then I went on eBay and I went on Google and I put don't buy competitor name. So let's say Apple iPhone. And I want, I'm Samsung. Don't buy the iPhone. Buy Samsung instead. I don't say negative things. I don't say I, I, I Samsung is better. I don't say iPhone is bad. I say, I say good things. I just grab attention. And the point of those ads, that eBay link, the point of that Google ad is to get people to click, is to grab attention. And that was the point of it. Me saying don't buy the competitor allowed me to get people's attention. It worked out really well. It was very aggressive. Now it doesn't work anymore. A lot of people were copying me back then and then Google had the trademark. They caught up with it, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Google caught up with it. eBay caught up with it. But it worked so well. And, and it's not unethical because I was not putting down my competitor. I just said, don't buy it. I'm allowed to say that because I want you to buy my product. I'm not saying it's better. This, this is a, and on the website, I have very objective comparisons. But it goes, the, the, the foundation of this strategy is to think outside the box to gain attention. And there's better examples of this. There's someone who had a website. He had his girlfriend run on the, uh, at a football game or something. I can't remember what it was. Um, and she was wearing a swimsuit and the website on it. She got arrested for a day and, and uh, et cetera. But he got $3.5 or $3.8 million worth of marketing for free. He thought wow. outside the box. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying do this, but that's a perfect example of thinking outside the box. And there's many examples. So if you can come up with some sort of strategy, I'm doing something similar now on LinkedIn. I came up with a really good strategy and I'm not going to say it because I want to leverage it. <laughs> but, but you're uh, going to let me know later, right? I will I'll tell you afterwards. But okay. it's about thinking, <laughs> thinking about those strategies, what everyone else is not doing or scared to do or worried to do, and then trying it. Get attention. It's all about getting attention now. It's such a crowded space, whether it's, it's just branding yourself, branding your business, it's getting people to know you exist. Later, you can tell your story. Later, you can tell them why to buy your product. That's the story. That's what you can do after you get their attention. But right now, the main challenge in today's business is getting people's attention. And, and it doesn't take uh, a lot of money to get attention today. Certainly bootstrap marketing for startup uh, entrepreneurs is a great way to go at it. And, and certainly it's a matter of being smart, being fast. Uh, you said it yourself, Mario, scarcity breeds innovation. And we have learned so much through you today and a lot of these bootstrapped approaches that ultimately really help deliver companies to the marketing position that they do have monies ultimately to really, really grow the brand. Thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. You said it yourself, getting to know your customers isn't easy. It should always be evolving. Thank you, Mario, for your time today. Laurie, thanks a lot for your time. It was a really nice chat. This episode is complete. 
but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.